Good evening. How's the sound quality? Is it okay? You want it? You need it to be up, or is it? Or does that mean okay? You need it to be louder. A little louder. How is this now? Is this any better? It, it sounds a little uh, muffled to me. When when I was in training to be a teacher, uh, the, f the the very first uh, very first training session that I had, <clears throat> my teacher taught me about stagecraft, and uh, it really has been a wonderful lesson uh, that before you launch into a teaching that it's very important to make sure that the room feels right and that includes the sound, it includes sight, it includes all of our senses um, because if people can't, aren't, don't feel landed then it starts, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of poetry I speak to you, it won't land. So I hope you feel somewhat landed because I'm going to unland you right away. <laughs> All right. So um, how many of you are new to New York Insight? Oh, just a few tonight. Welcome. Um, and how many of you have I not met before? A few. So we start uh, every event at New York Insight, we start by saying hello to each other and, and again that's part of stagecraft because it's really helpful to know who's in the room with us so that when we close our eyes we can feel as if we belong here and that it's a safe space. Very important, especially for people of color. So. Um, I, I'm going to ask you to just say hello to, all the, to as many people around you as possible and I'm going to give you an assignment. And that assignment is that um, we, start, we start our practice of mindfulness right now. We don't wait until we close our eyes and assume the position so much as we um, practice being lovingly present and aware right in this moment right now. That's what's the most important thing. Whether our eyes are closed or we're standing or we're sitting or we're walking or we're sleeping or we, it doesn't matter. Our, the Buddha taught that there are four postures in which we can be mindful, sitting, walking, standing and lying down. And I challenge you to think of any others that are possible. You can. And so as you say hello to the people around you, really connect. So even if it means that you just speak to three or four or one or two, connect in a way that they feel your presence. You offer a loving presence, even if it's somebody that you've never seen before in your life, which is probably the case, um, to offer loving presence, especially when they say their name. Uh, somehow that connects you. If you really are present for the person when they offer who they are. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to just connect with a few people around you. And if you've not been to New York Insight before or I've not met you, please come and say hello to me as one of your people. Thank you.
I didn't introduce myself. <laughs> There's a few people ask me what my name is. So my name is Gina Sharp, for those of you whom I've not met. I think that's still too low. So there are a few people who've not practiced too much. So uh, we'll do some instructions tonight. Um, and usually what we do is we do a little bit of movement after we sit and uh, then we have some uh, Dharma teaching and discussion. Okay, sound good? Great, okay. So just listen to the bell. So that was a lot of energy, just meeting and greeting who is in the room. So notice how that was for you. Notice how the energy is. Are you tired from the day, energized from meeting new folks? Just check in with the body and allow all of the molecules of the body to arrive, to sit on this seat. And through paying attention to just being in the body, Feel your aliveness. How do you feel aliveness? Is it the tingling in your hands or your feet? the heat or cool of the body. The sensations of the, your clothes touching the body. The pressure created by the weight of the body just being seated, being held by the seat. Notice all of these experiences that most of the time we bypass, we ignore. And yet these are all the ways in which we feel alive. We see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think. So appreciate that for just a moment. and just allow the sensation 
of the pressure of the weight of the body touching the seat. Feel that. Another way that we know that we're alive is because the body is breathing. Breath is necessary to life. So simply, really simply, pay attention to the breathing of the body the air coming in through the nostrils, passing into the body, and then coming back out through the nostrils. And as it enters the body, not only does it pass through the nostrils, but the belly rises, the chest rises. Feel that. And then as a way of gathering the scattered mind, just allow the attention to come to rest in that movement of breath in the body. So that the attention is neither on the past, the immediate or distant past, nor is it on the immediate or distant future. Rather, there is a very simple knowing of this being, this sentient being, sitting here right now with the simple breath in the body. Letting go of any expectation or wish for something particular to happen. And letting go of what may have clung to you from the day or the week or the month. And see if it's possible to just be here with this simple breath. 
paying close attention to how it feels as it moves in the body, in and out, rising and falling. And can you do that without complexity, without adding any complexity to the task? Noticing the mind maybe coming in with opinions or views about how it should be or how it was. And seeing if in the simplicity of the practice it's possible to let go of those opinions or views and keep directing the attention just to this present moment, the simple breath without opinion, without judgment, without feeling that we need to control anything to make the breath a particular way or to make our experience be a particular thing. Just allowing what arises and passes away to arise and pass away, whether it's a sight, a smell, a taste, a sound, a touch, or a thought and allow this attention to the breath to yoke the attention, to allow it to be gentle and kind attention that needs nothing, requires nothing, just simply knows what is true right now. Warmth or cool, hard or soft, pleasant or unpleasant. Just letting things come, stay for their duration, their natural duration, and allowing them to pass as they most surely will. This breath passes, and now this one comes, and this one, and this one.
you feel tightness in the body or in the mind, notice what that's like, this tightness or tension. Rather than trying to control it or manipulate it, see if you can simply let it be. Noticing the particulars of the sensation of tightness or tension. Perhaps it's throbbing or burning. Notice how it comes and goes. Letting what arises, arise, and what passes away, pass away. Letting it all be just as it is. If you find the mind wandering into the past or into the future, not staying in the present moment, one way of coming back is to begin again with the breath, and just making a small note in the mind, silent note of in on the in-breath and out on the out-breath. And then if other phenomena arise and pull the attention, such as a sound or a thought in the mind or an image, just make a very simple label seeing, or hearing, or thinking. Notice what that's like. And notice when the phenomenon that's pulled your attention disappears. So the sound arises and falls, maybe many times in a short while. where the image comes and goes. And thoughts may be a little bit stickier. So can you notice the fact that you're thinking 
without actually becoming engaged in prolonging the thought, but not pushing it away either. It's the note thinking can help you to do that. So tonight I'm going to talk about something that I think is a little difficult. Um, But I decided to talk about it because it's the question I think I get most often from uh, people of color. And that's the the teaching that is so... um, seminal and central to the practice that is offered by meditation. And that's a teaching on acceptance. And I think that it's a, it's a difficult teaching for two reasons. One is it goes against our conditioning. And secondly, because the um, any any group in which any group that lives with oppression or oppressive conditions is probably a better way of putting it constantly has a particular um, resistance to acceptance and it makes total sense to resist it because to be taught that the difficulties of life should be accepted feels very counterintuitive. And yet acceptance is, as I said, seminal to the Buddha's teachings because the teachings are taught for the purpose of um, 
moving towards freedom, moving towards total freedom. And when, when we talk about freedom, what we're talking about is not the usual American uh, um, interpretation of freedom, which is freedom to, right? I need to be free to express myself. I need to be free to carry a gun. I need to be free to do this. I need to be free to do that. It's not that freedom so much as it's the freedom from. It's the freedom from the uh, suffering that's caused by our greed, hatred, and delusion. And greed, hatred, and delusion as taught in these teachings are the three roots of what leads to suffering. And it, it feels like such a self-evident principle to me and probably to you too until you try to practice it, <laughs> right? Because actually our greed, hatred, and delusion feel very natural. It feels really right for us to want something and to want it with passion and to go after it with all guns blazing. Especially if it's pleasant, we like it, we want more of it, and we're taught that you know, success means getting more and more and more of what we like, what we want. And aversion or hatred of what we don't like also seems intuitive and natural. And it feels like a natural thing to want to push it away when whatever we don't like that makes us uncomfortable comes along. It feels like a really natural thing and a really right thing to say, I hate that, I don't want it, I don't, I, it's, it's not what I want in my life and I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna blast it out of existence because it's, not, it's making me uncomfortable. Or delusion, where we really are pulled around by uh, our opinions and our views of what we think is true, rather than a real understanding of the way things are and, and what is real truth. So these three, um, these three roots are uh, what we live with as human beings. And they are the very opposite of acceptance, right? Because if we're, we're busy trying to get more of what we like and making sure that we've blown out of existence that, we don't, that which we don't like and ignoring everything else, then What's the problem with that, right? We get more of what we like, we get less of what we hate. Then life would be just hunky-dory, right? Life would just be a bowl of cherries or whatever your metaphor is for it. So if we've all been doing this now all of our lives, how many of you um, feel completely free? Any hands want to go up? So if, we, if, 
if we, if we see that, if we recognize that, and we've been, that's the strategy we've been using. We shove down what we don't like, we rise up what we do like. And, we've not, and we're not free, then what's wrong with this picture? So when the Buddha taught, he taught that the first thing that needs to be done is really to see where things are, to really correct our ignorance or our delusion. And then from that place, we start with acceptance. And then from that place of acceptance, we act. And I know that if I'm, I know there probably, no, not probably, there are activists in this, in this room right now who don't want to hear this teaching at all because when we live in conditions of oppression, the last thing we want to do is accept them. So I made myself watch this video that's been on the news in the last week or so. It's not something I wanted to watch, but it's something that I thought I needed to watch. And it was really hard. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. The chokehold. Choke Some people said no. So there, uh, and good for you who don't know about it, by the way. There is a, um, a gentleman, an African-American gentleman in Staten Island <coughs> who uh, was killed by um, one or more policemen when he allegedly resisted arrest. And the story is that he'd been arrested several times before for selling cigarettes without a license. And he, the, there was an attempt at arresting him and he, he said he didn't want to be handcuffed and a cop, a policeman, put a chokehold on him. And turns out he had asthma and diabetes. And uh, he died. And the, the story is all too um, ubiquitous in our culture and is becoming more and more um, routine, which is really hard to hear. And we have so many examples of um, African-American men especially uh, being the subject of oppression, hatred, um, 
place of ignorance and um, violence. And of course, what it makes us want to do is scream. Makes me feel like screaming at somebody. And to really have it stop, have it not be so. And of course, over time, since the times of slavery and um, Jim Crow, things have changed and they've improved. I think we can all agree on that. And yet, there is so much more to be done. And so when we look at, uh, when we look at that, certainly I can feel a resistance to any idea of acceptance. That there is some way in which there is something that needs to be done and it needs to be done now. And that we must say no. We must say no to uh, any kind of hatred, be it race, racial or religious or homophobic or any way, any kind of hatred that arises that is targeted at anyone because of who they are, that somehow we must find a way as human beings to live together where we can appreciate the beauty of the diversity of um, being human, of, the, of this whole world. Or if we take it out of that realm completely and just look at climate change and the ways, all the ways in which we're despoiling the environment disappearing species that in order for life to um, improve somehow we feel as if we can't accept these things that they must be banished so if I take it down from the political or the environmental, which of course is also political, and into the personal, it's not different. That in so many ways, we judge ourselves we speak to ourselves in ways that we would never dare speak to someone else. That we somehow judge ourselves in ways where we think this is not acceptable or we're not living up to our potential or we're not doing what we need to do or we should be doing something else or we should be doing it better or we should be doing it perfectly or it's not good enough. So we look around the world and we see 
all of these situations that are clearly, clearly, on some level, unacceptable. And perhaps it makes more sense to work with this, with a level of acceptance on a personal level and open, open that out into the political and the environmental and all of the other ways in which there is so much happening in this human life that feels, it needs, that feels like it needs correction. So these teachings point us, point to all of the ways in which we resist this acceptance. All of the ways in which we want to say no. This is not good enough. I'm not good enough. It is not good enough. They're not good enough. Nobody is good enough. where we can notice just from that stance that we take with experience why when I asked who feels completely free not one hand went up and it's a very simple principle if we're not feeling completely free it means that we are tied to conditions being a particular way we feel as if, in order for us to be happy, conditions have to be just as we want them to be. And what's ironic about that is, I don't, I don't think I've ever met one person in this entire life, and I've been living on this earth now for a pretty long time, who said, yep, it's happened. Conditions are exactly as I want them to be. Everybody's great. Everybody I meet, I love. They love me. I have the right job. I have the right partner. My kids are great. They're all Nobel Prize winners. I get along with every person I meet. Every person I meet loves me and I love them. And so, yes, I'm perfectly happy and I've achieved everything I wanted to in life. There's nothing left for me to achieve. You know, you get it. And yet, we still have this idea that somewhere out there is perfection, and we're not it, right? that somewhere out there, someday, into the near future, hopefully the near future, could be the far future, but we're hoping it's the near future, everything's gonna line up. There's gonna be complete, utter alignment of everything, and that's when I'm gonna get happy. That's when I'm gonna be satisfied. So there's this simple really very simple teaching that maybe we'd even want to be more complex for it to be profound. But it's profound in its simplicity. Which is why not start right here with what we've got? 
why not start right here with conditions just as they are, no different? And see what we can do to actually be lovingly, kindly, and wisely and compassionately, compassionately aware of how things are right now. That's a huge shift in our relationship to our experience and to who we are. And this loving and kind awareness that teaches us how things are. And, it, and this does not require that things be perfect, thank God, because then we could never be lovingly and kindly aware. But that we can actually be aware of things as they are, no matter how they are. That as we, as we see the news about um, hatred and ignorance and greed that drives so many of our problems that we respond not with hatred and greed and ignorance but we respond with kindness or love with contentment and with wisdom. And that feels like a whole lifetime's work. Right? Doesn't it? I mean, where are we going to start? Right? Where are we going to start with that? Because I don't think we even know how to do that. And why don't we know how to do it? Because we've been told from the time we were this big, that's not good enough. No, you don't do it that way, you do it this way. And for me to love you, you need to get this grade. Or you need to become that. Or you're not, you need to not look like that. So the shift of perspective and relationship is a big job. And that's why when we practice diligently and consistently and constantly, something begins to crack. Because the instructions never change. Sit down. Find a way to organize your attention so that it's not scattered, whether it's by the breath or the body or whatever the object. And then see what happens. Those are essentially the instructions. But you see what happens by sitting still and by allowing the mind 
to quiet and still also. So that means it can't be agitated. That means that the mind receives what is true and lets it be. It's not trying to fix it, not trying to make it something else, not trying to get a little bit more or make it go away or disappear. But it's actually just being here, totally present, completely aware of what is true now in this moment without judgment. Now when we talk about judgment, we're not talking about discernment. So of course you're, you're not a you know, piece of protoplasm just kind of sitting there not doing anything, right? You're actually a human being knowing deeply the conditions that inhere in your existence. And knowing that, we're allowing things to be as they are. And this is the tricky part. Because how can you allow things to be as they are when there's great injustice in the world? How can you allow things to be just as they are when there's hatred being directed at you? How can we allow things to be just as they are when people are starving and other people have $150 billion? How is it, how, uh, what sense could that possibly make? What is it we're trying to do? And is it really a successful strategy if what we're looking at is freedom? And what are the building blocks to being able to do that? And do you want to do it? I mean, maybe, you know, and I've, I've been through a lot of different um, uh, stages in my practice where I thought, oh, the hell with that, right? I don't want to accept all this crap. It's too much crap in the world to be accepting. But then what would keep happening is I'd get very unhappy. And I'd find myself making a lot of mistakes not mistakes. I'd find myself making a lot of moves that caused more harm and caused more unhappiness and more suffering than whatever the original cause was. And I remember, because I'm a child of the 60s, 1960s, where we would yell and scream for peace, <laughs> right? Where we would go out and, um, you know, be talking about peace and be calling the cops pigs. But peace was our agenda. And then wonder why the world was such an unpeaceful place in our lives. So our 
our way of working is to first see very clearly how things are. Yes, there is hatred. Yes, there is greed. Yes, there is delusion or ignorance. But it's not them. It's us. All of us. The whole human race put together. And it requires a tremendous amount of forgiveness from a very large heart. But in order to do that, we have to first forgive ourselves. We have to first forgive ourselves for all of the ways in which we too have been filled with hatred. We too have been filled with grief, greed and ignorance. This is from Krishnamurti, who was asked by a student, how do, I, uh, how do I love? How do I stop hating? And Krishnamurti said, it is easy to hate. And hate brings people together after a fashion. It creates all kinds of fantasies. It brings about various types of cooperation, as in war. But love is much more difficult. You cannot learn how to love, but what you can do is to observe hate and put it gently aside. Don't battle against hate. Don't say how terrible it is to hate people but see hate for what it is and let it drop away. Brush it aside, it is not important. What is important is not to let hate take root in your mind. Your mind is like rich soil, and if given sufficient time, any problem that comes along will take root like a weed, and then you have the trouble of pulling it out. But if you do not give the problem sufficient time to take root, then it has no place to grow and it will wither away. If you encourage hate, give it time to take root, to grow, to mature, it becomes an enormous problem. But if each time hate arises, you let it go by, then you will find that your mind becomes very sensitive without being sentimental, and therefore it will know love. This love is based on acceptance. And it's not so much to convince you that you have to go around accepting everything but really to point to a way of practice 
And that way of practice is in each moment to become really interested in what is true. To not allow the mind to take root in fantasies about what is really going on. But in some ways, to get really simple and elemental. So you know that practice that we did tonight in, uh, in, in the meditation of just, if you did it, just noting, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, thinking. Because that's all that's happening in our world in this world of body, mind, and heart. The six senses are operating. We hear some words, we put meaning to them, and then we decide whether we love them or hate them, or we're gonna do something about it or we're not gonna do something about it. And we're so off on what our reaction is gonna be that we haven't even taken time to really understand what's happening. And this is the function of acceptance, that we learn to stop, to see and hear and touch and taste and feel, and reflect. And then from that place of stillness and quiet, yes, that place of acceptance, the appropriate response appears. It almost presents itself on a silver platter. Here's what is needed now in this moment. Rather than the reactivity that's been conditioned into us by all of the forces to which we are all subject. Our families, our teachers, our uh, friends, our the television, our culture, and this internalized taking what is in the external world and internalizing it. And if it's an oppressive world, internalizing that oppression. So to say, no more, no more will that happen. Because we become so sensitive and so aware of what is really true. That what is internalized is just what is discerned to be wise and compassionate, not what is reactive and hateful. And we do that for our own sake. So that this self-judgment begins to fall away on its own. We don't have to make it go away or think there's something we have to do to stop it. But that there's a level of sensitivity that comes with this exercise in just knowing what is true here and now. And that forgiveness that I spoke about starts with ourselves. And it's not so much because it's a good thing to do, 
but because we love and want freedom so much that we will do what it takes. That that freedom from dependence on conditions being a certain way in order for us to be happy and content falls away all on its own. And it's a simple practice, but it's not easy. It's a very simple practice, but it's not easy because it means years of conditioning must be worked through. But we don't try to do it all in one gulp. We make a resolution and an intention and we sit down consistently and constantly because we understand that those, that conditioning and those habits of mind are worn away, not because we tell them to go, but because in every moment we are so here, we are so aware of what is true, that there is no room. There is no room for them. And so, as the Buddha said, where the mind, where we put the mind, that's where it will incline. So we keep putting the mind back to this present moment with kindness and compassion, not with hatred and greed. And eventually, the mind begins to do it all by itself. It's a beautiful thing. The mind becomes beautiful and joyful, peaceful. And what needs to be done is done. We don't have to worry about that. Our actions become aligned with that beauty. And you are already beautiful. You are already beautiful. Let that beauty come through. By letting go of the reactivity and allowing the peace that comes with knowing who we truly are and how we truly are and really knowing that beauty and acting in every moment, not in all moments, but each moment, each moment, each moment, acting out of that place of beauty and kindness. So thank you for listening. So I, what I'd like you to do is just turn to your neighbor for a couple of minutes and speak about acceptance and what sounds true to you and what, where you still feel resistance to accepting things as they are. Just see what happens. See what you can discover. I'll give you about four minutes
So, any comments or questions for the whole group or for me? You just say your name first. Hi. I'm Monique. Monique? Yeah, so, you know, so our, our society, our culture is, it's one that's always encouraging us to push forward, right? So, and there's, there's not a lot of encouragement to just stop and pause and see, oh, what's true here? And so we're, we act on a lot of assumptions that, as you said, are, can even be completely unconscious. And we're not even aware that we're acting on unconscious, which is kind of the nature of unconscious stuff, right? Right. But we're we're not we're not trained to lay back. But okay, like onto the next thing, or you know, or this is what I want, and I must have it, and I must uh, push, 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 push. And is it possible to just be present? even if something is painful, so that we can really understand it, right? It's the understanding that gives us wisdom. Yeah, thank you. Here, and, and then Bill over there, a gentleman here. Ruben, right? If you put it like a ice cream cone, that helps. There you go. <laughs> Yay. Perfect metaphor. So usually, how do, we, how do we usually react to difficulty or pain? 
we steal ourselves. What did you say, Paris? Aversion, yeah. And so we steal ourselves against whatever it is we think is the intruder or the, the source of the pain. And really what we're invited to do, this whole practice is an invitation to soften, right? But we have a, a little bit of aversion to softening, right? Because in some ways we're so familiar with protection coming from armoring. We armor our hearts, we armor our bodies, we, are, you know, we go out and we armor to meet whatever the challenges are. And so we wind up in this tense, tight, armored place. And so the practice invites us to soften, to soften the heart, to soften our stance in how we receive. And it takes a little bit of retraining because again, it feels a little counterintuitive to think, oh, our biggest protection is to soften into it, right? But you know, think about the worst thing, the worst kind of pain is childbirth, right? And what did they tell you to do? Breathe. <laughs> but guess what? Breathing works. And it, so it, it's that kind of Aikido kind of move where we do the very thing that it seems would be the very opposite of what we want to accomplish. And the thing to do is to not um, like take it at, you know, uh, oh, so that's what the teachings say, so that must be true. We're always encouraged to hear the teachings, reflect on them, and then put them into practice. And then if it works, and usually when the way we know something works is it feels wholesome. It feels skillful, right? If it feels unwholesome or unskillful, then don't do it. But we won't know that for ourselves if we don't try it, if we don't put it into practice for ourselves. So this ability to be here, to just be here with a soft gaze and a soft heart and a, and, and a body that's not armored, not waiting for the next blow, what we find is that everything relaxes. Bill had his hand up. <laughs> and there could be a benefit in changing. And we as individuals can be proactive 
acting in a loving way in order to bring about a change. Mm -hmm. so that's how it all fits together. Yeah, and that change comes out of a, of a place of not fighting against, but in a way joining with whatever is true to see what can be done. Thank you. So has anybody decided I'm not accepting? I'm just not going to do that. Because I'd like to hear from you. So the confidence that what you have discerned is actually true, you don't have that. Okay, so, so that's a really beautiful place to start, is to really understand that, to, to really look and, and whenever you have that experience, to pay attention. So we're not trying to like make that experience go away but we're starting right where we are. So if what you're feeling is, I don't have the confidence in that. I don't have the confidence to really believe that what I think is true is true. I think that's a great place to start. Great place to start. And you can't be anywhere other than where you are. And if you try to be other than where you are, you're just going to get all tangled up in, in what is not true, right? Because then we're pretending. I remember as a child, um, I didn't have that easy a childhood. And I remember as a child not wanting to be who I was. And I remember that as being a very painful state, right? Because it meant always pretending that, that, that something else was true other than what was actually true. And finding these teachings was a real relief for that. It was, oh, who I am is actually okay. Right? It's actually okay. And, it, and that's, a, that's a long journey. That's not just, oh, I'm going to decide that who I am is okay and it happens. Because our psyches are complex but that that resolution or that intention once made can be achieved or attained 
step by step, moment by moment. But again, we tend to believe that once we decide we should get somewhere, that we should be there already, right? It's like that, um, there's a wonderful uh, cartoon in The New Yorker where it's, you see these, it's a family on camels, right? And you know, there's the mama on the mama camel and the daddy on the daddy camel and the ki two kids on two kid camels, little camels, baby camels. And the caption is, um, are we there yet? It says, no for Christ's sakes, we're nomads. We're nomads on this, in this life, right? We're, there's only one destination, and none of us particularly wants to get there, <laughs> right? So we're very happy to be on, on the journey, right? So it's, beautif it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that you know where you are, right? I don't have that confidence yet, and can I be okay with that? And what does it feel like to not have that confidence? So become, as Ram Das, who's a spiritual teacher from the 60s, used to say, become um, a connoisseur of your neuroses, right? Really understand all of the ways in which you're not there yet, right? With a, with a, beautif with a beautiful acceptance of the journey. And then delight when we come to way stations, right? Oh, wow, when did that change? Oh, I just responded to this situation completely differently than the way I used to. Ooh, how did that happen? Right? It becomes, these moments become delightful. And it's not because we, you know, kind of try to fit ourselves into a spiritual thing or because we tried to be some other person or this or that, but because we really are completely accepting of where we are right now. That's a beautiful thing. That in itself softens our bodies and our hearts. So thank you. Thank you for your questions, they're all beautiful. So we've come to the end of the evening. And I offer these teachings uh, with the heart that loves the humanity in every single one of us. All of our foibles, our places of ignorance, our places where we're not confident, or where we do want to scream at injustice or inequity. And when we reflect on these things and put something into practice of our wisdom and compassion, 
our hearts open and a field of goodness is created. And so we hold hands and walk together in that field of goodness and we invite the whole world in. So we may start just where we are and open out and out and out, open our hearts until the whole world is invited in. Those we love, those we don't like so much, those we understand their suffering or we don't understand their suffering. And we take all of the goodness that we've generated tonight and cast it out so that it covers the whole world, all of these beings who are wandering on their own journeys. And we share this goodness and we dedicate this goodness to the benefit, the welfare, the happiness, the well-being and the awakening of all beings everywhere without exception. Wishing that all beings be safe from harm, happy and peaceful, healthy and strong, living with complete ease, totally free, free from suffering. May it be so. Thank you so much for coming. Get home safely. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.